We are claiming the promises of everything that we have sang about today. We are free. We have found liberty in you. Your blood shed on our behalf for the sins of the world, the sins of ourselves. God, there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. There is no other name under heaven that has the power that your name has. Your name, who you are, what you have done. You have saved us. Not only have you saved us, you walk us through the darkest days and the darkest seasons of our lives with the promise that you won't leave us and you won't forsake us. Even when we are tempted to leave you and to forsake you, you are right beside us, inviting us to rest in green pastures, to rest beside still waters, and to taste of your goodness, and to taste of your mercy. Father, I pray that the people in this room that need the taste of that goodness and that mercy right now the most would feel it, would taste it. Those that have had great losses in their lives this week, those who are hurting, those who are still praying for, for friends and family that are laying in hospital beds. God, would you give rest to our souls as we trust in you? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 Hmm. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We have been doing a, no surprise to you, but just review. We've been doing a chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse breakdown of the greatest sermon that's ever been preached Uh, Jesus sits down on the side of a mountain and he begins teaching his followers what it looks like to walk and talk and give and live for the better kingdom, for God's kingdom. And with every word he preaches, the crowd is growing because no one had ever heard anyone say the things that Jesus is saying with the power that he is saying it with. Jesus would say the most extreme things in this sermon, at least to the ears of his audience. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the mournful. Blessed are the persecuted. Don't be angry because it is murder in your heart. Don't lust after another because it is adultery in your heart. You have heard it said, but I say, stop treating your wives like a piece of property. You have heard it say, but I say, do not resist an evil person. In fact, I want you to love and serve your enemies. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, do so sincerely and do it without recognition. Don't worry about your life. Trust God. Seek his kingdom and you will have everything you will ever need. In fact, that is what we have learned the most from this deep dive into Jesus' sermon. What Jesus is after the most here is not our obedience, but our trust. Jesus knows that where our treasure is, our hearts will be also. So his whole sermon is an attempt to convince us that God and his kingdom is the greater treasure. Seek it, embrace it, trust it above everything else because obedience always follows our trust. That's why Jesus started by saying, give me your life, give me your heart. You can trust me. You can trust this kingdom. Jesus, now, let me say this. Today, 
Uh, we're going to begin the last chapter of Jesus' sermon, and the first passage that we're going to look at is probably one of the most famous passages in the New Testament. Uh, this text is certainly one that is probably most quoted um, from the Bible. In fact, people who have never opened the Bible, people who have never stepped foot in church know a verse in this passage, and they are not afraid to preach it to the church. They, okay, yeah. Everyone, everybody seems to know this verse, but very few care enough about the context to understand what Jesus was actually teaching. So what's the verse? Well, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says, do not judge others. This is not King James, but it's going to have to do. Do not judge others. Ah, there it is. The verse everybody knows, but nobody knows where it's at. Well, now you know. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge others, which we think means do not criticize me, do not confront me about anything, because ultimately, my life is none of your business. Problem is, most people want to put a period after that sentence. And Jesus doesn't use a period. Jesus uses a comma, because Jesus isn't done. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. So Jesus is warning us that when we judge others, judgment will actually come back on us. And although this verse is often quoted, it is most often misquoted and misunderstood. Is Jesus really saying here that we are never to be discerning or that we are never to evaluate or judge someone else's actions or behavior? Well, if we were just to read the next few verses, we would understand that is not what Jesus is teaching at all. Jesus continues, verse 2. For you will be treated as you treat others. Now, this isn't anything new that Jesus is introducing to his audience. It's been, in, it's been the principle all throughout his sermon so far. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Matthew 5, 7. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Matthew 7, 2. You will be treated as you treat others. And Jesus continues. The standard... You use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Here's the deal. We all have a set of life rules that we live by. And everybody that lives outside our set of life rules is in danger of being judged. You might not like that, but the Truth is, people who don't look like us, talk like us, act like us, think like us, believe like us, is more likely to be judged by us. Listen, listen online. This is not a church problem. This is a people problem. Because people judge people. That's what we do. And everybody does it. And those who say, well, I don't, you're doing it right now. I'm not like them. Yes, you are. You're just on the opposite side of the fence. Again, you don't have to like that. I don't like it, but it's true. 
So Jesus is teaching his audience that by the same measure that we judge others, we will be judged. So the question is this, how do we want to be judged? Two ways. Number one, we want to be judged not, (laughs) right? We don't want to be judged. And number two, if we do have to be judged, we want to be judged mercifully, right? We want others to treat us the way they want to be treated. We want others to judge us the way they want to be treated. That's the point Jesus is making here. And then Jesus gives a silly illustration to help make his point. Verse 3. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye? And I like that part. You know why I like that part? Because Jesus is actually confirming what I thought all along. There is something wrong with him. There is something wrong with her. There is something wrong with them. There is a speck. I knew it. I wasn't just making that up. I was right. There's a speck in their eye. Jesus continues. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? And that's an easy question to answer. Well, number one, it's just more fun to look at the speck in someone else's eye, isn't it? In fact, your speck makes me feel better about myself. Focusing on you is way easier because your issues make me feel better about my issues, and it distracts me from my issues. And, and, and number two, honestly, Jesus, I didn't even know that I had a log in my eye. I, I, I mean, I can see what's wrong with them. I can see what's wrong with you. Everybody, it's obvious what's wrong with you. I just didn't think anything much was wrong with me. Now, Jesus, he's being a little funny here with this illustration of a speck splinter and a log but he's actually being very pointed and direct and honestly I don't seem to I don't like what he seems to be insinuating (laughs) because it can be a bit convicting he says your friend has a splinter in their eye but you have a two by four sticking out of your own eye how ridiculous Rick would it be for you to try to correct them now Jesus follows up that first question with a second question. And this question is really getting after the heart of what Jesus is after. Verse 4. How can you think of saying to your friend, hey, forget saying it. Jesus goes, how can you even think about saying to your friend, let me help. I love that word. Let me help you. Get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. In other words, how dare you go around pointing your finger at what's wrong with everybody else? There is plenty wrong with you. To which we say, but Jesus, I'm just trying to help them. Right? I don't want to jump... I'm not judge. I just want to help them. So we, we walk around with a mirror. Now, I know you probably don't like looking in this mirror and seeing, but listen, I'm not judging you. <laughs> right? I'm helping you. And you're like, well, 
Rick, that doesn't seem very, it seems kind of judgmental. No, 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 I'm not judging. I'm helping you. And the truth is, all of us in this room can join this mirror ministry. In fact, we, we like the mirror ministry. We like pointing the mirror. Look in the mirror. You need, oh my goodness, your life, you need to look right here. You need, hey, look, look, look. I'm not being judgmental. I'm being helpful. And we can all join that ministry. You can help all the people you want. But Jesus has another name for it. In fact, Jesus punctuates it with one word. It's the first word in verse 5. Hypocrite. Now, Jesus defines hypocrite here as someone more fascinated with what's wrong with others than what's wrong with themselves. Someone more preoccupied with fixing other people than they are fixing themselves. It's people who can see what's wrong with everyone else, but unwilling to face up with what's wrong with them. And it sounds harsh, doesn't it? But it's true. I mean, I have my own issues. You have your own issues. Maybe, maybe, look, maybe I should just focus on my issues. And maybe you should just focus on your issues. In fact, Maybe that's just the big idea of what Jesus is trying to get at in this passage. Everyone should just mind their own business. And Jesus could have just said that, right? Jesus could have just said, listen, the lesson for today is mind your own business. Don't worry about anybody else. Worry about yourself. Take care of yourself. Lesson over. Let's pray and go home. And that would have been fine, except Jesus doesn't stop there. In fact, this verse, verse 5, is where Jesus actually starts teaching the lesson of this passage. This is what Jesus says next. First, which sounds like Jesus is about to give us a list. First, number one, get rid of the log in your own eye. In other words, first, acknowledge that you are jacked up. First, acknowledge that you have your own issues. First, own your own log. First, confess your own log. First, surrender your own log. Slay your own log. Whatever it takes, remove the log from your own life. Then, you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's now, the people who quote verse 1, do not judge me because the Bible says do not judge, they never read all the way down to verse 5. It's one of my favorite things to say. Well, the Bible says judge not. Verse 1, read verse 5. <laughs> because in verse 5, Jesus seems to say that there does come a point when we are to deal with the specks in other people's eyes. And in other words, according to Jesus, there does come a time when this is okay. Now here's the million dollar question. When is this okay? And Jesus says, well, you're ready 
to point the mirror at your neighbor, at your friend, when you first acknowledge your own sin. I am a sinner. For the wages of my sin is death. My sin. No, 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 let's not talk about my sin. Let's talk about, let's talk about your sin. No, no, no. My sin cost Jesus his life. My sin is why we can sing a song about the cross. My sin killed Jesus. Who am I? I'm just a sinner saved but by the grace of God. I'm unworthy of that. I don't deserve that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what's so good about humility? Humility keeps us from thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. Hum- humility keeps us from thinking we are more important or that we are better than others. We didn't earn anything from God. We don't deserve grace from God. And yet he's forgiven us. So when are we ready to help others? When you are humbled and broken by your own sin and then the sin of others breaks you, then you're ready. If you're really excited about showing people their sin, you're not ready. (laughs) If you're listening to this sermon, you can't wait till I'm done so you can go home and And you can remind your online do not judge crowd that Jesus actually says in verse five that you're not ready. (laughs) You're not ready. We are not ready to show the mirror to others until one, we mourn our own sin and two, the sin of others breaks us and we mourn their sin. The point of Jesus' lesson here is not that Christians are never to judge others. The point is we are never to judge others self-righteously. We forgive others because God has forgiven us. We show mercy to sinners because Jesus, because God showed mercy to us. We are gracious to others because God, through Jesus, has been gracious to us. We like like the mirror ministry because we want to point out people's sins. Jesus wants us to show them the reflection so that we can point them to a savior. We want to win the arguments. Jesus wants us to win hearts. We want to build cases. Jesus wants us to build bridges, because that's what he did for us. Jesus could have won the argument. Jesus 
could have built this foolproof case against us, and instead he chose to take upon himself our sin and die our death on the cross. And can I be honest for just a moment? I look at a lot of people around me, and I get angry. They are so bold and proud of their sin. They celebrate and flaunt their sin. And I can be so judgmental. And the reason why I become so judgmental is because I forget. I forget that they are not the enemy. My enemy is not flesh and blood. And I can sit down and have coffee with you and I could argue that all day. Yes, I struggle to not make my flesh and blood my enemy. When people flaunt their sin and they boast in their sin, I get angry, get angry. It's because I have forgotten that they are not my enemy. I forget I forget that they are blind. I forget that they are deceived. And I forget that I was them and still would be them apart from the gospel of grace. Sometimes the loving thing to do is to remain silent or walk away. Sometimes the loving thing to do is love them and serve them even though they live outside our rules of living. Love and serve them as Jesus has loved and served us. Hold off and judge them the way Jesus has judged you. Look at me. We still have to call sin, sin. Don't forget that you are a sinner saved only by the grace of God. That changes the tone, doesn't it? It just sounds different when we judge others from a place of self-righteousness versus a place of humility, knowing that we are no better. The only thing different is that God has rescued us. He's given us sight from our blindness. He's, he's allowed us to see through the deception of Satan, he's given us mercy and grace to, re, to receive him. It's the only difference. And by the way, just in case we don't come back to this subject again for a while, I want us to look at what Paul says about judging. There's a lot of things we could say today, but I think this is important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I think he gives us a good standard of, of who we are to judge, all right? Here we go, Verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. Paul says, it, is not, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. Whoa. Now, wait a minute. If it wasn't Paul's responsibility, whose is it? Like, if anybody would have had the right to judge outsiders, it would have been the apostle, Paul. If it wasn't Paul's responsibility, it certainly probably isn't our responsibility. Why would Paul say that? Because Paul understood that outsiders have not agreed to live by God's rules, so why would we hold them accountable to a set of rules that they have never agreed to? To which the world would say, yes, finally, Rick's gone woke, all right? Rick, yes, thank you, thank you. Finally, a preacher that's on our side, and I wanna be on their side. But wait, 
Paul says, it's not my responsibility to judge outsiders. Well, whose is it? Verse 13 says, God will judge those on the outside. Again, if that excites you, you're not ready. In fact, if that excites us, we need to repent. That should terrify us. Our family, our friends, outside of the faith is going to be judged by God and sentenced to an eternity separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. So we must preach Jesus, not so that we can prove that we're right, but because eternity hangs in the balance of people we are going to rub shoulders with today. Their eternity hangs in the balance. And Paul continues, it's not our responsibility to judge those outside. They don't live by the same set of rules that we live by. They have not embraced the same God that we have embraced. But Paul says in verse 12, it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Paul says, for the Christian, we now live by a different set of rules. Remember, I said we all have a set of rules, but when you become a Christian, it's no longer your set of rules. It's the rules of our heavenly father. It's the rules of God's kingdom and the rules that the church embrace. When someone steps outside of those rules and disobedience to God, we lovingly and graciously correct them so they will be saved on the day the Lord returns. That's what Paul says in Corinthians as well. So that helps us a little bit. When are we ready to judge? Well, when we are reminded, acknowledge our sin, and we're broken over them, and, and we're mourning the sins of those that we need to correct. Who are we to judge? Well, not those, and I probably just disappointed a lot of you. Right? Because you're getting ammunition. It's Pride Month. Let's go. Paul says, no, 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 no. It's not your responsibility. I'll judge that. You judge those inside the church that have embraced the same standard of living, that have embraced the kingdom of God. Lastly, Jesus finishes this passage in, in Matthew 7 by saying something that seems a bit off the wall, maybe a little out of context, but it's not. It truly isn't in verse 6, and this is our last verse, and we're done. Jesus says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't, I've heard this verse all my life. I don't even know if I really understood what it means. Don't throw your pearls to pigs, for they will trample the pearls, and they will turn, and they will attack you. So here's what I want to say in closing. There, there are going to be times that we are going to come across people who just don't, and I believe it's going to be so much the more in the last day. Even worse, there will be some that are hateful towards you. No matter how loving, no matter how gracious you are, they will hate what you stand for. They will be rude to you. They will want to fight and debate you. And Jesus warned us that some's gonna hate us because they hated them, hated him. Some are gonna persecute us because they persecuted him. Some will never be happy with you accepting them and loving them and being gracious towards them. The truth is some won't be happy until we approve of their sin, until we approve of their lifestyle. In church, we just can't do that. We can't. We must call sin, sin. But listen, it's sin in your life as much as it's sin in their life. But we gotta call it sin. 
We must be loving and gracious in doing so. But there will be a time, perhaps, there will be a time that we are going to have to walk away from some people. Because to not walk away would be like constantly throwing pearls in a pig pen and then getting upset that the pigs don't appreciate what you've given them. They're trampling them. They're like my labs. They're eating them. And you're like, what are you doing? These are, those are expensive. They're valuable. I gave them for you to enjoy, not to eat. Why do you keep trampling the very thing that we keep, we keep throwing the holy at the unholy and it makes us so angry that they don't appreciate it and they don't even want it. Sometimes we're going to have to shake the dust from our shoes and walk away. But church, we've got to walk away weeping. We are certainly called by God to discern good from evil, right from wrong. Later in this chapter, good fruit from bad fruit. But what we are not called to do is look down on people in self-righteousness. You know what's wrong with self-righteous people? I know this from my own experience. Self-righteous people are not very often self-aware people. I can tell you what's wrong with you, and I can preach it in a sermon, but to sit down and really evaluate honestly who I am and my own issues. Now, that's a bit more troubling and hard. We are not called to look down on people in self-righteousness. We are not called to have a judgmental spirit about us. So may God help us, church. I'm going to end with this passage in James chapter 5. The brother of Jesus says this. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. Might be a good uh, plaque for us to put above our door as we leave every morning. God alone is, because as self-righteous people, sometimes we just want to say, God, hang out on the recliner today. I got this one, right? You get a day off from judging. I can handle that today. And James says, God alone is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy, and he will do both. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? The answer is none. We call sin, sin, but we do so mourning the sin of the world. And can I just be honest with you? I'm not always there. I'm right, I get angry. I still deal with self-righteousness. My sin's not as bad as their sin. And I'm just telling you, on those days, you probably should just set it out. Just keep your mouth shut because you need to go home and spend some time looking in the mirror being reminded from God's word that you are what you are only by the grace of God. And the only thing that separates you from that category of people that you think are so bad, the only thing is Jesus. That's it. That's it. So we call sin, sin. But man, we leave here calling out the name of Jesus, trusting that the spirit will confront sin and change hearts that he will do for others what he has done for us. I read that verse six today, and I'm like, you know what? That's a verse I'm gonna start using when I see Christians debating non-Christians online about church things. I'm gonna just say, hey, quit throwing your pearls at the pit. Well, I shouldn't probably say that. 
<laughs> They're going, who are you calling a pig? I didn't, Jesus, Jesus is not me. Hey, quit trying to throw the holy at the unholy. You give it and you trust, the, you trust God to do the watering. You trust God to do the, the growing and you trust God to do the changing. We're just faithful to do for others what God has done for us. Amen?